0: Amen. Thank you, Chase. Yeah. Um, so a couple things. A couple things I want to celebrate with you guys uh, as we get started. Um, number one, um, a really, real treat this morning for us as a church family uh, to have a guest worship leader uh, in Joel Olympic. And so Joel, thank you so much. Uh, we Listen, here's the thing. Uh, we love Park Church. I know that might sound crazy coming from one church about another church that's just a couple miles away, but we love Park Church. We believe in Park Church, and we are so gifted. Uh, we feel so blessed to have uh, been gifted the opportunity to, to be led by you this morning, so thank you, Joel. Um, that comes with uh, another announcement that our uh, worship director, Jason Polly, and his wife, Katie, uh, had uh, their little boy last night. They welcomed... Uh, yeah so i 'm not going to jace can tell you the whole story you know some other time, um, but uh, we it, it works well for us because uh, we welcomed another beautiful baby by the way, like our church is stacked with cute kids right now, all right and we just we just keep adding to it uh, and so a huge gift there and a huge gift in joel being to come, being able to come out this morning so um, that said, I'm really glad for us to be um, in the Bible this morning. i um, glad that you're here. I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Heights, and uh, excited to continue in this series and the Proverbs uh, alongside you. Now, um, we're talking this morning about wisdom for friendship, and I, don't, I probably don't need to spend a ton of time convincing you that it's important that we talk about this. Um, in fact. For many of you, I'll just, we'll just cut like straight to the chase. Like for many of you, uh, maybe you showed up here this morning because you didn't, you don't feel like you have any friends. Maybe you showed up here this morning, you're feeling lonely, and you're thinking, maybe this is an opportunity for me to make some friends. And maybe you have a friend or a few friends, and if you do, you know that those friendships They don't come without cost. They don't come without some work and some intentionality. And so as we consider this topic of friendship, uh, I probably don't need to convince you, um, but maybe the survey, uh, will. a survey for uh, the Survey Center on American Life conducted a study um, about a year ago, June of 2021, and uh, compared friendship data to a study conducted exactly uh, 31 years ago, back in 19... 90. Alright, so it compared these two surveys, the exact same survey, and what that survey found is actually pretty staggering. The survey defined a friend in the following way. So this is the survey's definition of a friend. It's having someone you talk to within the last six months about an important personal matter. Like, if that, that's, the, like that's like a low bar friend definition. But that's how the survey defines a friend, Okay. Wait, here's here's what the survey found this is what's staggering the number of friendships people possess now in, or in 2021 according to the study is half the number they possessed in 1990 just three decades before in fact the study concluded this and we have this on the screen again this is a year ago as the pandemic recedes the american economy will recover Most businesses will adapt, evolve, and ultimately thrive, but the future of American social life looks much bleaker. Our social circles are smaller, and friendship groups are depleted. The social recovery may take much longer, or it may not happen at all. Despite the incredible advancements in technology we've seen in the last three decades, like, I don't have to, like, spell that out for you, like, it's unbelievable the technological advances that we have experienced in the last 30 years that could help us be more connected, right? But despite those things, we are a more lonely people than we were 30 years ago. And so the question that I kind of want us to grapple with this morning is, what do we do about that? What do we do with it? What's the solution? What, like, how, do, how can the church, how can this church look different than maybe broader society? See, a community—that's a buzzword—is only as good as the friendships that make up that community, right? And so, this morning, I'm gonna—what we're gonna do is we're gonna dive off from the pro- proverbs, like we've done in the series, and we're gonna look at a biblical vision for friendship. We're gonna identify a few barriers uh, that stand in the way of us experiencing what the Bible has in mind for us, and then we're gonna take some practical steps together towards building good friendships. So that's where we're going. The Really, the overarching idea for today, the big idea summed up in this, this line right here. A good friendship doesn't just happen, it's mutually chosen. It doesn't just happen, but it's chosen and sought after, right? So first, let's look at this idea. Let's back up. What does the Bible say about friendship? Well, the Bible actually has a lot to say. We think that the Bible... You know, has, it speaks in, a th- over, in authority over some area of, areas of our lives. But actually, the Bible has a lot to say about things. is something that we wouldn't even consider to go to to think about, right? Like, we wouldn't think, like, I'm going to go to the Bible to learn about friendships. No, we would go buy a book. But the Bible has a lot to say. The verse that Chase just read a few minutes ago, uh, Proverbs eighteen twenty four says this. One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who s- stays closer Than a brother. A different translation says the same verse this way A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The vision for deep friendship here in Proverbs 18 is this Being known a little, many companions, by a lot of people will actually lead to further loneliness and disconnectedness. I think that's what social media has taught us, right? But the opposite is true. Being known by a few people in a really deep, meaningful way ultimately leads to the full life that we're all longing for in friendships anyways. The proverb says something that's a little shocking if we take this at face value. It says that a good friend is someone that sticks closer than a brother. Like, sticks closer than someone that we are bound to. In fact, one commentator says this, a brother is stuck with you. Anybody have a brother that they're like, I am stuck with this person, even if you want to get rid of them, right? (laughs) I'm stuck with them. A brother is stuck with you. A brother is obligated to be some kind of safety net. That is what family's for. But a friend chooses you. When someone loves you at all times, good and bad, and they don't have to, but they choose to, that person is a friend. A true friend is rock solid. A good friendship doesn't just happen, it's chosen. It's mutually chosen. And you can see this in one of the most predominant, beautiful friendships found in the story of the Bible, a very unlikely friendship between a very humble shepherd named David and the son of a king named Jonathan. These two became the best of friends, and it didn't just happen accidentally. It was chosen. Look with me at 1 Samuel 18. This is a passage from the Old Testament. It says, when David had finished speaking with Saul, Saul is Jonathan's dad. Jonathan was, pay attention to this word, bound to David in close friendship, and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Verse 3, tune in here. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Then Jonathan removed the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his Military tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. The vision of friendship here is really, it's summed up in the Bible in these few three or four verses. You have two people, Jonathan and David, who initially had very little in common. Who come from very different backgrounds, socially and socioeconomically for sure. And they had one thing in common. And it's a, it's a real key line from the Proverbs. It's, they, they, they both feared the Lord. That's the one thing they had in common. And that friendship blossomed into something so much deeper than surface level. That was their common ground. That's where their friendship started. But it grew into something so much more. But it didn't just happen on accident. It was chosen. It was sought after. It was intentional. You've got to notice the language that's used in this passage from 1 Samuel Verse 1 says that Jonathan was bound to David. Like, do, you, do, you, do we use that word lightly, right? Like, we just say, oh, I, I feel bound to you? Like, sometimes we use it in a negative sense. But it's, it's not that here. He, he felt bound to David. There was something that was drawing them together in deep, deep, deep friendship. Verse 3 says that Jonathan and David made a covenant with each other out of their mutual choosing. A covenant for friendship. And then verse 4 shows Jonathan being hyper-sacrificial in this friendship. Says that he gave what was his own to David. A spirit of generosity within their friendship. I I think it's easy to read this. And be like, yeah, this feels kind of cheesy, Jonathan, like bound and covenant for friends. Like, friends are casual. But I think what, what the Bible's getting at here is that friendship was created by God for something so much more deeper than what we typically think about it for. It's actually a way for us to know God in a deeper sense in the way as we know one another. Like, there's dimensions of God that we can't know unless we open ourselves up in friendship, in covenant friendship, to one another. Scott Sauls, in his book, Befriend, which, by the way, you should pick this up. It's an incredible book, Befriend, um, says this about David and Jonathan's friendship. He says, a shared love for God matured into a reciprocal transparency, vulnerability, and Love and loyalty between them that would later move David to jo- adopt Jonathan's son, Mephib- Mephib- Mephibosheth, after Jonathan died in battle. What sits at the heart of deep, healthy, biblically informed friendships is a mutual love and a commitment to each other. It's mutually chosen. Friendships don't just happen, they're chosen. Sauls goes on to say this, in, in Befriend, he says, this kind of friendship, the multi-layered kind that exposes us to the grit of our own and each other's lives, the kind that positions us to love across the lines of our differences, the kind that leads us to lay down our lives for each other's sakes, sake, works a lot like two pieces of sandpaper being rubbed together. The friction causes sensations that initially irritate and burn. You may have a friend that can just really grind their gears, right? Like, it feels like this piece of sandpaper. Saul continues and says, Yet over time, the effect on other pieces of sandpaper is the same. Both become smoother, not in spite of the friction, but precisely because of it. The image that we get here is the same image of Proverbs 27 and 17, The author of Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens another. This is a beautiful portrayal of what friendship is. Deep intimacy between two people who love each other, who sacrifice for each other, who are continually, mutually choosing each other. Now, here's what I know. Both experientially and statistically, the survey... Few of us in this room have actually experienced what what was just described as a biblical vision for friendship. Few of us have experienced the aim of friendship in the Bible. And what's at stake here is us living the Christian life without an entire dimension of that life that God intended for us. It's us foregoing an entire dimension of what God has in mind for your life. And so, if we're honest, the friendship is what most of us are really longing for right now. Like most of us, if we would just be really honest with ourselves, if we'd be really honest with each other, what we're longing for right now is some some type of connection to another human being that feels significant, that feels meaningful. And as one of your pastors, I've thought a lot about this question. I've thought a lot about that this week. I've I've thought about, why don't we experience that? Like, why do few of us experience this deep David and Jonathan-like friendship? Like, why have we simply settled for a lesser version of friendship why is it that we have half the number of friends today than the average American had 30 years ago? Like, we, we have the same 24-hour blocks of time every day. We work about the same amount of hours. We have, I don't have my cell phone, but we have cell phones literally with us 24-7. But yet we're, we have fewer friends. Like, why is that? Like, what's standing in our way? And those questions have been lingering in the back of my mind all week. We have the opportunity to be more connected than ever, but we're less. So why? Well, as I've thought about this, there's a lot of barriers, but I can only talk for so long, so I've had to cut down to three barriers. Um, So I've thought about this. I, I think these barriers aren't true for everyone everywhere, but I'm really thinking of us. I'm thinking of the heights i'm not thinking of other people i'm thinking of, uh, of us here these are the barriers that i think are holding us back from experiencing these kinds of friendships these are the three barriers that keep us from the real friendships that we long for in our lives the f- the first barrier i think is we never talk about friendships right we talk about everything else but we never talk about friendships themselves i think we take for granted that we actually know how to make friends and keep them we just sort of assume that the more socially inclined people, the extroverts, are great at making friends. And if you're not that, you kind of stand around hoping that they want to be your friend, right? And then, we don't, then that's it. We don't really know what to do with that. Well, what we need to do is we need to talk about this. But we need to bring it up as a real conversation that we have with one another. And we need to start talking about friendships and our, and our need as human beings to have a close friend. Maybe not dozens, but a close friend. We just assume that we know how. And I think the thing of it is, this isn't mysterious, but it also, it doesn't happen without trying or thinking about it. Friendships are mutually chosen. They require talking about. In fact, I was thinking about this. We kind of need to all go back to kindergarten a little bit and relearn the skill of going up to someone that we think is kind of cool And saying, hey, will you be my friend? And being vulnerable in the moment? And sometimes they say no, but sometimes they say yes. I think the first barrier we face is we don't talk about it. Second barrier we face is that we're scared of commitment in friendships. We're scared. We read something like David and Jonathan's friendship and we think, well, gosh, I want that. Like, I long for that. I need that. I long for someone to be committed to me, but simultaneously we feel completely overwhelmed by it. We think, wait, they made a covenant with each other? Like how awkward would that be? Like I don't even know what that would look like. Like how do you make a friendship covenant? No one's writing books on that. We get a little bit scared of the commitment. It feels scary. You see, we... We all want friendships if we're really honest, like just gut level honesty. We all want the friendship, but we we all want it on our terms. We want it on our terms. We, we want people to be committed to us when we need it. But when it comes to our commitment to others, we want to make sure we have an out. Just in case. I mean, especially. I mean, again, this is for our church. We live in Denver. We never want to commit to something or someone because in the back of our mind, we think this. We would never say this out loud. What if something more fun or more adventurous comes up? Another way of saying that is we're just flaky. We're just flaky. We're scared of commitment. I I think... (laughs) This isn't in my notes, which is really dangerous. But we're very flaky. We're very flaky. And I I'm flaky. I'm not saying you, I'm saying us. We're flaky. Culturally, we're flaky. We're always keeping our options open because we're selfish. That's the barrier under this. We're selfish. We love ourselves, unlike the friendship of Jonathan and David, where they loved each other more than themselves. We're selfish. Second, that's our second barrier. The third barrier is this. We see friendships as performance. Church family, this one's coming in hot for us, okay? We would never say this out loud, but we think this and it motivates us. If we can't be the person in a friendship that has it all together and displays the Instagram veneer of ourselves in person, then we won't show up at all. Let's let's put this another way. If I have to be real and honest and vulnerable for a friendship, then I'd rather not. I'd rather them think, I'd rather other people think that the Instagram portrayal of my life is real than to actually open myself up to someone else and let them see that it's not. I'd rather keep them at an arm's distance than let them see that I'm a real person who isn't that veneer. And I think what's really behind this, what's behind this, fear, this barrier is a fear. And I think it's this fear that we believe, and I think this is true outside of the church. If you're fully known, you can't be fully loved. Like, if people know your heart of hearts, then you'll get crucified. Like, if people knew you they would be very disappointed with you. They'd be very offended by you. They'd be... They wouldn't love you, simply. But, but what's, what's true about this biblical vision of friendship is that we get to be fully known in the safety of being fully loved. And I think what's behind this fear, this barrier, is a fear that if I can't perform then I won't be loved. We think, if people know the real me, they won't love me. So I'd rather them love the false version of me and keep them at an arm's length rather than risking them knowing the real me and them seeing that I'm not awesome. These barriers stand between us and real, genuine, biblically informed friendships. Not naming them, not talking about friendship, being scared of commitment, and seeing our friendships as an opportunity to perform. These things will keep us from experiencing real, meaningful friendships in life. So the question then is, how do we move forward? We've got the vision for friendship, right? Jonathan and David, something to aspire to. We see the barriers. Now, how do we navigate around these barriers? How do we remove these barriers? And how do you, as a normal human being, trying to navigate all the priorities in your life, work and life and and balancing those things and family and other responsibilities. How do you navigate these barriers in a helpful way that sets you on the trajectory to experience the kind of friendship that God actually has in mind for you? Did you know that? Like, God wants you to have good friendships. He wants that. He wants you to know him better through other people. We could go on and on about many like, accounts of this, but that's what he wants for you. That's his intention for you. So wh- what I want to propose is that we look at these three steps towards being a real friend. I, and I phrase it like this, because I think we could sit around and talk about the bad friend all the time. But where this all starts is for all of us saying, no, I want to be the first one to be the real friend. I want to be the first one to be the good friend. Because we can't control other people, but we can, we can influence the way we think and the way we live and the way we engage with friendships. And so the temptation here is to think about someone else during this section. This is for us. This is for you. All right? So three steps towards real friendships. This is not comprehensive like anything in the Proverbs we've talked about in this series. Um, this is not a one and done deal here, but I do want to offer a few things that might reframe the way we think about friendships and offer some really practical ways for us to live into these. Just as a refresher, Proverbs 18, 24 says this, the second part says, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I believe that for us to move towards those kinds of friendships, we need to reframe the way we think about What friendship actually requires of us. Real friendships require these three things. They require risk, sacrifice, and commitment. Those are the three things we see in Jonathan and David. Risk, sacrifice, and commitment. I want to unpack each of these for us. First of all, friendships require risk. And really what sits behind risk is vulnerability. Real friendships require vulnerability. Real, true, lasting friendships require risk through vulnerability. I don't want to minimize this. This is really a scary thing. This is a hard thing to to wrestle with. This is to open your life to someone who might reject you. I know that many of us have... Experienced what we would what you would classify as like betrayal in friendships and and i that is one of the hardest things to rebound from is to come back and try to trust someone after you feel be, betrayed when you were vulnerable with someone but any good thing worth having requires risk. the risk in friendship is is love, to love someone and to be loved by someone. That's what's at risk. That's the vulnerability that's at risk here. In fact, C.S. Lewis writes about this in his book, Four Loves. He says this, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, he's kind of being funny here, you must... Give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, listen here, church, safe and dark, motionless and airless. It will change. The heart will change. It will not be broken it will be unbreakable, it will be impenetrable, it will be irredeemable. According to Lewis, a heart that will never risk relationally to love becomes unbreakable, impenetrable, and irredeemable. You see, with friendships, there's a risk involved. But listen to this, what sits on the other side of that risk, if you're willing to take the risk, is deep companionship and intimacy that God created us for. A Christian counselor named Chip Dodd said this, and I think this is one of my favorite quotes around friendship. A friend is someone who doubles your joy and cuts your sorrow in half. That's what sits on the other side of a risk in friendship. Think about this. A friend is someone who doubles your joy and cuts the hardest things in life, the sorrow we feel about life's hardest things in half. That is a friend. That's what sits on the other side of the risk. It's someone who will also bring their vulnerability to the table and share it. And these friendships don't just happen. They're sought after, they're cultivated, and they're chosen. And so practically speaking, if we want to be a good friend, If we want good friendships, we have to first be a good friend. That's where we start. If we want vulnerability in friendships, we have to be vulnerable first in the friendship. If you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, that sounds great, Jonathan, but I don't have a friend. You're thinking, I would love to practice these things. But I don't have someone. I don't have anyone. And I, first of all, I just want to like stop and I want to sympathize with you in this moment. Because I know that in a room this size, the survey says it. Like there are people, there are some of you, there are some of us who feel that way. And I'm, I am so sorry. That's not God's design. God's design is for companionship. It's for friendships. The risk of friendship starts with Potentially, you asking someone in this room to be a friend to you. Knowing that what could be on the other side of that is someone who doubles your joy and cuts your sorrow in half. So that said, it requires risk. It requires risk within a friendship. It requires risk in building a friendship. So here's, I want to give you two, let's boil this down all the way down into our lives. Two action steps. These are kind of funny, but... The first one is anyways, have a friendship DTR. Define the relationship. I kind of forgot what that was. Define the relationship. So here's here's what, here's what you need. Like for some of you, you're in this like I have an acquaintance, they're a companion, are they a friend? I don't know, but you like float in that arena and what you need to do is you need to take that person to lunch or coffee or drinks or whatever's your thing and you need to sit down and say I don't want this to be weird, but I want to be your friend. Will you be my friend? Let's make a Jonathan and David covenant right now in this coffee shop. (laughs) I mean, you might need to do that. But the point being, like, for some of you, you need to define your friendship. Jonathan and David sure didn't have a hard time being bound to each other and talking about what that means. And what happens on the other side of that is someone who... Again, I can't get over this quote, who doubles your joy and cuts your sorrow in half. So maybe for some of you, you need to define the relationship with a friend and say, will you be my friend? Can we be friends in a more significant way? Can it look like this? Like, let's start talking like this, all right? All right? So one action step is to have a friendship DTR. The second, uh, there's some of us I know that in this room that are carrying a lot of bitterness We're carrying a lot of sadness. We're carrying a lot of hurt as it relates to friendships. And I think there's two options that we have. We can keep living that way. Or we can try to reconcile. And that reconciliation may not be met, but what will be met is a free conscience on the other side of that. And for, so for some of you, you may need to reconcile with a family member. You may need to reconcile with someone in this room. And during our response time, we invite you to do that. Like that's what this space is for. But you might need to reconcile and re-engage, and you be the initiator in reconciling that, all right? That's our first, act, that's our first step towards real friendships, is knowing that they require risk. The second is that they require sacrifice. Friendships require sacrifice, in preference sometimes. We see this, Paul says in in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. If this is true about Christian community, then how much more true is it about the friendships that make up Christian Community. I think it's easy to hear that and to think, but what about me? What if I'm always the one sacrificing my preferences? Now one, there's like unhealthy friendships here, right? If you're always the one and only the one sacrificing your preferences, probably not a great friendship. But the beauty in Christian friendship here is that this command is not just given to one party, but it's given to both parties, the command isn't just for one person, it's for both. It means if you, have a friend, if you have a friendship where you're both sacrificing your preferences for each other, it means that everyone's, both people's relational needs are being met. This is true in marriage, friendship and marriage. This is true in other friendships, that when we both have this mind among ourselves, to serve the other, to sacrifice for the other, then both people's needs are met and there's never a well what about me moment. We both needs are met. And I think for us we need to remember that this type of friendship doesn't just happen, it's chosen, it's sought after, it's pursued, it's It's us asking the question, am I the kind of person who is ready to sacrifice, or am I the one standing around waiting for someone else to sacrifice for me? Maybe, maybe that's a key question for us. Am I the one who can suffer silently with a friend without feeling the need to one up their pain? Am I someone who can genuinely be happy for someone when good things happen to them and not for me? These are good diagnostic questions for us, for ourselves. Friendships, Friendship requires this type of sacrifice. And so one action step for you to think about as you consider being the friend who sacrifices is asking this question of yourself. Who is one friend that you know right now who has a need? Who's a friend right now that you know has a need and you can step in relationally, financially, With your time, with your energy, and you can step in and sacrifice for that person and meet that need. What if today you met that need? You no questions asked. You just stepped in and you sacrificed on behalf of someone else. What if this whole room did that for each other? We would have no more needs. That's the beauty of friendships. That's the beauty of community in the church. The third step that it, requi- that's required from us towards real friendship is commitment, risk, sacrifice, commitment. Commitment isn't a one time deal either; it's a choice over and over and over again. That's why we called the big idea here: is friendships don't just happen; they're chosen, over and over and over and over. Friendships don't just happen; they're chosen. That and, and that takes time. I think I feel like for many of us we have had really good friendships in maybe a specific season of our lives, or at least we thought we did in a specific season, whether that was in college or in a small group or in a particular season of life where you had a lot of time, but the point being is we, there's been times in our lives where you felt that you've had really good friendships, but you've had friendships in a microwave, right? You've had all this time. I think, I'm thinking of like for me, like before I was married and before I had any kiddos and like right out of college, I had like a lot more time and I felt like my friendships were so close and deep and we did everything together and then adult life happened to me and it robbed me of all my friendships. Like there may be many of you that feel that way right now. Like what happened to all my time? And what happens is our friendship potential gets squeezed into these smaller windows of time, and they, the friendships can't happen in a microwave. they actually take a little bit longer. And for us to stick out that length of time, it requires some commitment. It's a, it's a moving target most of the time. It looks like us choosing each other over and over again. It looks like us having, a, "I'm not going anywhere, you're not going anywhere," kind of friendship. Practically speaking, it requires us to be a non-flaky, committed friend. And an action step for us as we think about this is, um, I, we use the word repent, and there's a lot of things that come around, like a lot of negative things that might come around the word repent, but to repent means to, to change your mind and turn a different direction. That's the Bible's definition of what repent means. And so for some of us, we need to repent of our non-committal, flaky friendships, We need to commit, we need to repent of our own flakiness. Never heard, you've never thought about repenting of flakiness, have you? Um, It means us changing our mind and saying, I'm not going to be that kind of friend anymore, and I'm going to turn a different direction, and I'm going to become a more committed friend to the people that need me, around me. Real friendships don't just happen, they're mutually chosen. They require risk, sacrifice, and commitment. And I know all that sounds great, but it's also really hard. Like, you might be thinking, this is a question I wrote, how do I find the ability to be that kind of friend in a world where not everyone is that kind of friend? Well, because we can be so certain, so sure of Jesus' love for us. It's a very churchy answer. But in the gospel, we see Jesus. Jesus was a friend to us, not only when we were unfriendly towards him, but when we were his enemies, when we were an enemy to him. Romans 5 says this, it says, For if while we were enemies, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Jesus loved us, not only when we were unfriendly, but when we were enemies of him we read proverbs 1824 and we have a different perspective on it as the band comes forward we read proverbs 24 and we wrestle with this line a friend is one that sticks closer than a brother and we see that Jesus is that friend Jesus is the friend to us who sticks closer to us than a brother Jesus is the friend who we can be fully known by and fully loved by. We can be vulnerable with Jesus and trust that he loves us. We, we see that Jesus is the friend who risked for us, who sacrificed for us, and who committed to us. Jesus has lived those realities of friendship towards us. In fact, John 15 says this that no greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus not only sacrificed his preferences but his whole life. Jesus is the friend who sacrificed, committed to us. Jesus in every way was the one who was committed to us. Jesus was the friend that we've all longed for. And friends don't just happen, they're chosen. And Jesus chose us he chose you and so that said he not only risked for us he not only sacrificed for us but he's committed us he says this at matthew 28 the very end of the gospels he says he says this to his closest friends and remember i am with you always to the end of the age he is committed to you he sticks closer to you than a brother Jesus risked for us, he sacrificed for us, and he committed to us in a way that no friend can ever do. And so we're going to, at this time, we're going to respond, and we're going to respond to the, the teaching in, in a couple ways. Um, we have these four ways, conversion, communion, conversation, and celebration. The first of which is that if, if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, you wouldn't consider yourself a friend of God, we would love to talk to you a little bit more about that. We, we would love for you to know Jesus as the friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so if that's you, we, we invite you to come forward. We're going to have some folks that would be willing to pray for you right here in this corner. The second way we're going to respond is through communion. We're going to remember that we have full friendship and full fellowship with God through Jesus, the one who sticks closer than a brother. So as we come forward, if you'd consider yourself a Christian, you can come forward, you can pinch off a piece of the bread and dip it in the wine or the juice, whichever your conscience uh, permits. The wine is marked by a little piece of twine. And you can take communion knowing that you have full friendship and full fellowship with Jesus. The third way is through conversation. You can talk to someone on our prayer team about your bout with loneliness, about hardships and friendships. We're here to listen. We're not here to give advice. We're here to listen. And then lastly, through Celebration. We're going to sing and be reminded of the friendship of Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us and then invite us to respond in whatever way God is prompting you to respond this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that um, your word has so many things to say about such practical things for our lives, like friendship, things that we, we oftentimes don't think about. We're we're thankful that you've invited us into full friendship and full fellowship with you through Jesus. The one who sticks closer to us than a brother, who's loved us, who loves us, who knows us, and chooses us. So as we respond in this time, would you help us to obey? Would you help us to respond in the ways that we need to respond this morning? Lord, we thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond however God might be leading you.